good thing. I love that. So welcome back this morning, everyone. Um, as, we're, as we're getting started, I want to take a minute. I've got a lot to say this morning. So we got, we're going to get going. We're going to dive right into it. Uh, we're in the book of Acts chapter 1. If you want to start opening up your Bibles there. Acts chapter 1, we're going to be in verse 1 through verse 11. Um, but before we dive in there, I want to just draw your attention to this letter. I hope you guys got one when you came in. Um, if you didn't get one, uh, if either you or your husband or wife didn't get one, then Ben cain has got a handful of them right here. If you want to put your hand up, he can, he can bring you one of those. No, we got one in the back. There we go. Cool. So really, all this letter is, is this is just an update of some of the things happening in our church. A couple months ago, we started trying to write a letter like this every month or two just to fill you guys in on what's happening around here, just to better communicate with some of you. And so on the front side of it, you're going to find a list of a couple things that are coming down the pike, a couple ways that you can get more involved in our church family. Um, and on the back of it, you're going to see really an income expense report. Basically, it's our budget and then how much money we've received from donations and also where that money has gone. And so really, this is a way for us just to be transparent with you. You know, this is what's happening in the church, and uh, you're a part of this church. So this is, this is what's happening. Um, and if you look at that, I just want to praise God for how generous you've been <laughs> recently. Uh, you've been so generous and so faithful to invest in the kingdom of God here and all, and to invest in the work that's happening here. And it really, it blew me away when I saw it. Um, and so I don't, I want to make too big of a deal of it, but I think it would be wrong of me to get up here and not just praise God for how generous and uh, how amazingly uh, faithful you've been to invest in the work of God. So thank you for worshiping through giving. Thank you for worshiping by being a part of what we're doing here, because this money goes into the work of ministry in Alton. Um, so it's not about the money, but we need money to survive. So um, thank you for being a part of that and being so generous and so faithful. Uh, I, I felt like I had to say that to you this morning. The other thing I wanted to point out on this letter uh, this morning is the first one on this list of four things coming down the pike, and that's be, be free spring cleaning. The thing is, we know that God has put us here in this community for a reason. He didn't just put us anywhere. He put us in Alton, New Hampshire, and so we as a church, we want to share the love of Christ in Alton, New Hampshire. We do that through word, speaking the gospel, speaking the truth with our friends, but we also want to do that by bringing Christ's love to people through service, um, serving them and loving them. So over the last couple months, um, Rick Fogg right here and um, John in the back, he's the one doing jumping jacks in the back. No, he's not going to do jumping jacks. I got him to do something funny last time, but I, uh, it's not working this time. Okay. Um, They've been working on getting together a couple service projects that we as a church could do just to share the love of Christ with our community. And so on May 5th, what we're going to do is we're going to team up and we're going to go into our community to do that together. So at this point, all you need to do is to set aside May 5th. Set aside May 5th. We're going to give more details about how to get involved in that over the next couple weeks. But the other thing that's happening that's really cool is that this missions trip that we're sending up to Quebec here this summer... We're going to be partnering with that church to serve in their community. And as we serve in our community in May 5th, they're going to send a team to come serve alongside us. So it's truly a partnership. And what, I hope what happens through this is that first, it's an opportunity for us just to love our community, to share Christ's love with the community. But secondly, that our eyes would be opened a little bit wider and our perspectives broaden to this reality that we're a part of a universal church. 
We have brothers and sisters in other countries around the world uh, that we share a mission with. We're on the same team. And we have the same Lord. And that's why we're on the same team, the same father, the same family. So I'm excited for them to come. I'm excited to meet them, to serve alongside them, and to serve our community. So now we're going to get back into this series. Today is the last series, or the last week of the series, on the last week of Jesus' life. What we've done over the last seven weeks is we've been walking through the last week of Jesus' life, thinking about everything that happened between Palm Sunday, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, all the way to Easter Sunday, where Jesus rose again from the dead. We saw his life, we saw his death, we saw his resurrection. And I think for me, it was a beautiful time to get a little bit of perspective of what Jesus did when he came to earth. But today we're going to look at the very last thing that Jesus did on earth. And that is arise off the planet. We call it the ascension. When he ascended into the sky to disappear. Now, I think often about how important Jesus' life was. I think often about how important Jesus' death was, how important his resurrection was. But to be honest with you, before this week, before diving into Acts 1, 1 through 11, I hadn't thought too much about how important his ascension was. So the question I want to put before you this morning before we start, does it matter? Does it matter that Jesus rose up into the sky? And if it does, why does it matter? Is it, was it just a cool party trick? Is this... Is this just Jesus being, doing something impressive? Why does it matter that Jesus Christ rose into heaven? That's what we're going to think about this morning. And not only why it matters that he rose, but why it matters to us now, currently, living in this world. How it changes the way that we live and we act today. So I'm excited to get into this passage with you. Acts 1, 1 through 11. I'm going to read it, and then we're going to pray. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands to the Holy Spirit, to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And the cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. Be free. Let's, let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we believe what you've told us about Jesus. We believe that he truly came, born of a virgin, that he lived the perfect sinless life that we could not live if we tried our very best. We believe that he bore our sins on his shoulders, that he died in our place, he took our sins to the grave, and then you rose him up from the grave again, and you left our sins in the grave, Lord. We believe this about Jesus. And Father, as we think today about the next thing, the very last thing that happened in these Gospels, in the, that tells us in the Bible clearly of what Jesus did in his time on earth, Father, I pray that you would round out this story. That you would help us understand not only what Jesus did in the past, but what Jesus is doing today. And why that matters for us today of how we should live under our King, Lord, under, under Jesus. So, Father, thank you so much for this amazing truth and this amazing passage. There is too much for us to see here in 30, 40 minutes. So, Father, I pray that as we get, dive into it, as we wrestle with it, as we drink deeply from it, it would change the way that we think, change the way that we speak to one another, change the way we, we, speak, to, we, we speak to you. And I pray, Father, that it would motivate us and drive us to live lives of obedience and praise. So, Father, this time is for you. Do what you want to do today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Acts chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. The man who wrote the book of Acts is the same man who wrote the book of Luke. His name was Luke. And Luke was somebody who made a point. I know, it's, it's mind-blowing, I know. Um, he, and so what Luke really was trying to do was he was trying to gather together all the information that he could about Jesus. Everything that Jesus had, did, had done in his life, it says here, before he was taken up. And so in the book of Luke, he gathers all that information and he gives it to a man named Theophilus. And we actually know why he did this, why he gathered this information for Theophilus. Luke 1.4 tells us he did this so that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. That's the reason why he wrote the book of Luke. And in fact, that's the same reason he's writing the book of Acts. Because in Luke, what he's doing, he's saying, Theophilus, this is everything about Jesus that he did while he was on earth. And the amazing thing about Acts is he's continuing that story. It's one story over two books. This is everything Jesus did while he was on earth in the book of Luke. And now this is everything that Jesus is going to continue to do now that he's left the earth. And while Jesus isn't physically on the earth now, Jesus is continuing his work now. And he's doing that in two ways. He's doing that through the Holy Spirit, and he's doing that through you and me the church, his body, on the earth. So when we look at Acts, I think very often we think, oh, this is the early church. But the way that this passage helps us think about it is the Gospels is what Jesus did when he was on earth, and now the Acts is what Jesus is continuing to do now that he left earth. And so that's what we're seeing at the beginning here. Acts and Luke tie themselves together in one story, and right here where we are today, we're right at the overlap right where Luke 24 and Acts 1 layer on top of each other, tying the two books together. 
So some of what we're going to see now is going to be a repeat from last week, but it goes into more depth, into more detail. So let's keep going. Verse 3. He, Jesus, presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So we saw last week, Jesus rose again from the dead. And what he did when he rose is he presented himself alive to the disciples. He came to them and said, listen guys, I am truly, fully, undeniably, irrefutably alive. And they had to grasp that. They had to get that. If they missed that, everything would have been lost. If Jesus had died and stayed dead, everything that he would have said would have been a lie. It would have been pointless. It would have been useless. So the first thing that Jesus had to do was to make sure they understood he was truly, actually alive. And it says here that he did that by giving many proofs. And if you remember, he showed them his flesh and his bones, that I am no ghost, I am no spirit, I'm actually here in the flesh, everything's real. And the second thing that he did was he ate fish with them, and that was led to the deep theological insight that ghosts don't eat fish. Jesus had to prove to them that Jesus was actually there in the flesh. It was not a figment of their imagination. He was not a ghost. He was not a combination of wishful thinking and overactive imagination. He was truly alive, and he's there. And the proofs that he gave them apparently were so convincing that these men who refused to believe that Jesus had risen, despite the testimony of the woman, despite the testimony of Peter of the empty tomb, despite the testimony of the men on the road to Emmaus, despite the fact that Jesus was standing right in front of them, it flipped them, it convinced them. The thing that they were unable to believe became the thing that they were unable to disbelieve. That Jesus was truly alive and that he was, and that they became willing to die to defend that claim. They were absolutely convinced. So after he convinced them of that, that he was truly alive, what we read in this passage is that he spent the next 40 days teaching them and speaking to them about the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? What does that mean? I think maybe uh, when I think about the kingdom of God, I I might think, you know, heaven. Heaven's the kingdom of God. And that's true. But that's not exactly what Jesus is talking about here. See, because Jesus came into the world to bring the kingdom. Mark 1.15 tells us that the time is fulfilled. Jesus says this, sorry, in Mark 1.15. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So Jesus is telling us this at the beginning of his ministry. The kingdom is here now. I came to bring it. The kingdom is at hand. So Jesus brought his kingdom at that point. And we know that what Jesus did through his work, through his perfect life, through his death on the cross, and through his resurrection from the dead, he made it possible for everybody who believes in him, who's put their trust in him, to become citizens of his kingdom. We know that anybody who's put their trust in Jesus, Colossians 1.13 tells us, That God has delivered us out of the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. When Jesus came, he came to bring the kingdom. And anybody who's trusted him has become citizens, has become co-heirs in that kingdom. All that's true. The kingdom of God has come. But the other thing we know is that the kingdom of God is coming in the future. That someday, in the future, God is going to bring the kingdom. Jesus is going to bring the kingdom in its fullness. On the day that we read about in Revelation 21, where the new Jerusalem comes down, where the new earth and the new heavens are established. 
the kingdom in that day is going to be completed. So how does that work together? It's a very complicated thing, but I think we could sum it up pretty quickly. And this is it. When Jesus Christ came to the world, he came to bring the kingdom. People like to say that the kingdom was inaugurated. It was started. It was established. But we are waiting for the day for Jesus to come, to get, to come again and to consummate that kingdom, to finish that kingdom, to complete that kingdom. And what that means for us is that we're living in between those two events. We're living in between the time of the coming of the kingdom and the finishing of the kingdom. So as we live in the middle, as we live in this in-between time, we have two kings, and it makes it very complicated. We have a King Jesus who's ruling over us, that all of us who believe have entered into his kingdom. He is our Lord. He is our leader. We have committed to him. But at the same time, we're living in a time where we're under human leaders. We're living under the kingdom of man. And so in this season, we have a job to do. In this season, in between the coming of the kingdom and the completing of the kingdom, we have a job to do. Now, we're going to see a little bit more about what that job is in the verses to come. But let's continue on, and we'll get there. 4 and 5, verse 4 and 5. And while staying with them, he, Jesus, ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So Jesus is saying, do not go out from this place. Do not leave yet. Because before you go, I need to give you something really important. I need to give you the Holy Spirit. Before you go and do anything in this new in-between kingdom, you need to have the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. And at this point, that hasn't happened yet. He's saying, don't do anything until I give you the power to do what I want you to do. So that's where they're at at this point. At this point. But he continues in verse 6 and 7. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times and the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Yes, Jesus, is this kingdom coming now? Is the final, full, total consummation of the kingdom, is that what you're going to do now? Is that why you rose from the dead, to bring that kingdom, to overthrow the Romans, to put somebody on the throne of David? Is that what you're coming to do? Is this the moment we've been hoping for? Is this the moment we've been waiting for? And Jesus, in verse 7, says, guys, wait, wait, wait. Slow down. Don't worry about when. Let God worry about when. They say, Lord, at this time will you restore the kingdom to Israel? And he says, it's not for you to know the time or the season when all of this is going to take place. That's God's job. But I do have a job for you. In this in-between, as you wait for the time for the kingdom to come, you do have a job. It's not to worry about the time. This is what your job is. Verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. God the Father's job is to worry about the when. You don't worry about the when, he's saying. Your job is to be my witnesses. 
Your job is to give an account of all that I have done. Everything you've seen me do. The life I lived. The death I died. The life I rose again to. Your job is to declare these things to the nations. This thing we call the good news. The gospel. Be witnesses of the things that have happened right before your eyes. That's your job. As we wait for the time for the kingdom to come, you don't know when it's going to be. But all you have to worry about is taking this message, this beautiful, beautiful message, and sharing it with the world, bearing witness of these things. Luke chapter 24, he says, you are the witnesses of these things. So now, go. Bear witness. Tell the world of what you've seen. Share this message in Jerusalem, their town, in Judea, their region, Samaria, the region next door, and to the ends of the earth. Go, go, go. But they don't go alone. And that is so clear in this passage. Do not go alone. Do not leave Jerusalem until you have been clothed with the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm so encouraged when I read this passage. Because these men have been spending time with Jesus. They walked with Jesus for a couple years. And Jesus is saying to them, guys, don't go yet. You can't do this on your own. That even them, even these guys who spent two or three years with Jesus, aren't able to do this without the power of the Holy Spirit. And so for me, I just think, thank God. Thank God it doesn't come down to what I can do, what I can accomplish. Thank God that I still today, we, we need the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through us. This is an encouragement to me. And so the job of the apostles, the job of these ones called the sent ones, is to do kingdom work by bearing a spirit-empowered witness to the world. To do the kingdom work of bearing a spirit-empowered witness to the world. Verse 9. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. With this sending, Jesus arises. With this sending, Jesus leaves the planet. This is the last thing he gives them before he leaves. And now I want to stop for a minute and think about that rising anyway. Why does that matter? Why is it so important that Jesus was lifted up out of the world? Why is the ascension so clearly central to everything that we believe? Because Jesus' life is important because he perfectly, blamelessly lived a holy life. Jesus' death is important because he suffered our punishment in our place, bearing the sins that we deserve to die for. Jesus' resurrection is important because he is alive today, victorious over the power of the grave. But why does the ascension matter? And I think it does for three reasons. Here's the first. His ascension is important because it's his vindication, number one. His ascension is important because it's his exaltation, number two. And the ascension is important because it allows Jesus to continue his work. I couldn't think of another Asian importance. I really stressed, but it's not there. So the first one, Jesus' ascension is important because it's his vindication. Now when Jesus Christ rose again from the grave, when he, when he was resurrected, that was Jesus saying his vindication as well. You see, because when Jesus Christ, he lived, he lived the perfect life. He didn't sin at all, so he didn't deserve to die. 
But when Jesus took our sin onto his shoulders, then he deserved to die. And God poured out his wrath upon him, paying for our sin. Jesus was buried. He took our sins with him. And when Jesus Christ was risen again from the dead, when God rose him from the dead, he left the sins behind and he stood alive again, perfectly blameless, holy, yet again. So in the ascension, the fact that God said, you belong up here with me, what he's saying is, you are truly now perfectly holy and sinless yet again. The sin that you died for no longer sticks to you. It's been destroyed. You belong up here with me. So the fact that Jesus rose from the dead is his vindication. It's proof that God has truly paid the debt for sin, that it doesn't exist anymore, and that he is perfectly clean, holy, and pure. Just like all of us. That if we have been made pure, we too will be brought up into heaven on the last day because we too belong with the holy, perfect God because we're holy. So Jesus' ascension is his vindication. He is pure yet again. He is holy yet again. And he is approved by God. That's the first one. Number two, Jesus' ascension is his exaltation. We might say Jesus' ascension is his coronation. When he is put on the throne. It's the time where he is given the seat of power that he has had since the beginning of creation. He takes that place of power yet again at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Ephesians 1, 19 and 22 through 22 tells us this. That God seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And above every name that is named. Not only in this age but also in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet. That's what he did when he ascended into heaven. And he continues with this theme, or scripture continues with this theme in Hebrews 2.8, where we read that in putting everything in subjection under him, he left nothing outside of his control. When Jesus ascended to heaven, he was put on the throne. That was his coronation day. In other words, Jesus is not just alive, but he is up there right now, sovereignly ruling over all of creation. The ascension matters. Because he takes his seat on the throne. That's the second thing. And this leads on to the third point here. Jesus' ascension is important because it's his vindication. It's important because it's his exaltation and coronation day. And third, his ascension is important because it allows Jesus to continue his work today. That if Jesus is up there, if Jesus is sitting on the throne then he is the king ruling over his kingdom. And if this is all true and everything has been put under his control, as Hebrews 2.8 tells us, then he is still working today. He is working by sending the Holy Spirit. You see this in John 16, by making people pure, by being drawn by his power. And by us, the church, the citizens of the kingdom being sent by the power and the encouraging of the Holy Spirit. He's up there right now interceding on our behalf, we read from John 8, 34. Which means that when the Father is up there and he sees us sinning, Jesus turns to the Father and says, don't look at them, look at these nail-pierced hands. Don't look at them, look at the blood on my garment. He's up there interceding, reminding God, I paid for that too. I see what they're doing too, but I paid for that as well. Interceding on his behalf. 
third, he's up there leading the church. Ephesians 1.22 tells us this, that he gave him the head over all things to the church. That he's up there growing us, sending us, he's using us, he's loving us. And he's receiving the worship from us currently, right now. And finally, he's up there right now preparing to come again. Preparing to come in the same way that we saw him go. To deal a final death blow to sin, to death, to bring the kingdom in its fullness. So does the ascension matter? Yes. Because it means that our God is not only alive, but he is active. He is vindicated and he is exalted. Verse 10 and 11. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. And so in these last two verses of this passage, what we're seeing is the, holy, or is the, the disciples watching Jesus go, marveling at the amazing thing that they're seeing. But as he's leaving, these angels show up to them. We know they're angels because they match the description of angels in the rest of Scripture. And they say, guys, you've been given a message You've been given a mission. Stop looking into the sky. Your mission is here. Stop watching where he went. He's gone for now. And he's going to come again. But for now, you have a mission to do. You have a job to do. You have a message to bring, disciples. Stop looking up. Your job is here and your job is now. So go. Fulfill that mission. Once you receive the power of the Holy Spirit, do the work of bringing as many into this kingdom as possible. Do the work of spreading the gospel as far and wide as possible. And do the work of multiplying worshipers as much as possible for the praise of God by the power of His Spirit. This was the job given to the disciples. And be free, this is the job given to us as well. That we live in this time also, just as much as them, in between the already and the not yet. We're closer to the not yet, but we're still in between. And ever since that day, ever since the day that the disciples received the Holy Spirit in Pentecost and in, in Acts 2 and were sent out into the world, there has been a great inflowing of citizens, a great inflowing of believers of Jesus Christ. And all those who have believed in Jesus Christ by faith have been made citizens of this new kingdom. But at the same time, we're living under the kingdom of man, waiting for the time when Jesus will return. And this job that's for the disciples, which is also for us, because, because we, know, uh, we know Christ, and we have met Christ. And if we have met Christ and have by faith witnessed his life today, then we too must bear witness to what we have seen, the Christ that we have met. We must bear witness to the life of the God who is currently ruling over us that we have relationship with. We are witnesses to the truth of Jesus' death and resurrection. And the thing that I couldn't help thinking this week over and over again is that this is the only method that Jesus has set in effect to bring people into his kingdom. We are it. There's no plan B. 
The plan is go forth and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. There is no plan B. This is our job, to bring this message as far and as wide as possible. So we must bear witness. And B3, as, as we go, as we do this, we remember that we do not do it alone. Just like the disciples, we can't do this job on our own. But we have to trust in the power of the Holy Spirit working through us, speaking his word, drawing people's hearts, stirring all things and working all things together. It's through our Holy Spirit-empowered proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ that all God's people will be brought into citizenship of his kingdom. So as we wait, be free for that final day where the kingdom comes in its fullness, bring as many into the kingdom as possible. Spread the gospel as far as wide as possible. And multiply worshipers as much as possible for God's glory and by his power. Now what we're going to do now is proclaim the gospel. 1 Corinthians 11.26 tells us that for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. And so as we move into this time of communion, I want to think about that. This fact, the fact that what we do, the reason we do this right here is so that we will constantly, every, as often as we eat of it and drink of it, be reminded of why we do it. That Jesus Christ came to earth, lived the perfect life, bore our sins, died in our place, and rose again victorious to life so that anybody who believes who has been united with him has received the life that he offers to us in his place. And so communion is a sacred meal of remembrance. And it's a way that we proclaim this amazing truth. And so if anybody has ever accepted that message, the message of Jesus Christ's sacrificial death and victorious resurrection from the dead, then we are in the kingdom of God. And we are welcome to the table. It doesn't matter if you go to another church. It doesn't matter if you're a part of another denomination. If you have accepted that truth, you are welcome to receive these elements and to celebrate with us together and to proclaim this message together as a church. If you've never made that decision, if you've never put your trust in Jesus Christ, we ask that you not join us at the table. That this is something that the family of God does together to remember, to celebrate, to proclaim, and to worship his name. So finally, if you have kids who are young, if you have kids uh, who are, you're not sure quite where they stand with the Lord yet, we trust that you know the spiritual state of your kids better than we do. And so we ask that you would, that you would let them into this sacred meal, that you would lead them in there at the moment that you believe that they're ready to do so. So I'm going to pray for us. The band's going to start making their way up to play. And then I'll lead us in our communion liturgy. Heavenly Father, this message that we really, I mean, we've been thinking about every week for the last seven weeks, it's not trivial, it's not secondary, it's absolutely core, and it's absolutely essential <laughs> to everything we believe, everything we teach, everything we are, Lord. This message that we call the gospel, it changes us, it makes us new, it gives us new hearts, Father, and it's given us a mission now. And not only that, Lord, you have given us your Holy Spirit, 
your Holy Spirit to allow us to live in a way that glorifies you and to give us the power to actually fulfill the mission that you call us to. Lord, you don't only give us the mission, you make it possible for us to do it. So, Father, as we reflect upon the beautiful truth of this passage, which are more than we can even talk about in these 30 minutes, we pray, Lord, that it would draw us into a deeper love for you, And you would drive us to bring this amazing news, the joy of knowing you to the other people that we know in our lives. So, Father, drive us. Give us the passion to share this message. And I pray, Lord, that through all of this, the goal wouldn't be a bigger church. The goal wouldn't just be uh, just our own joy. That's a part of it, Lord. But we pray that the result of all of this would be your glory your praise, that your name would be made great, Father. That's why we do all of this. So, Father, I pray that through communion today, it would lead us in deep praise and worship as we remember and proclaim the gospel of your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray this in his holy name.